0: Today's theme is Jesus' mercy towards us calls us to be merciful towards others. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you that you are faithful, that your mercy and faithfulness will never end. We thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness is like a stream of mercy that is always flowing, never ending and then we had the privilege of drinking deeply of that refreshing water of Christ's mercy and forgiveness. Father, we thank you that your mercy calls us to be merciful as your disciples. And so teach us this morning, we pray, from this fifth beatitude. In Christ's name, Amen. So in this current sermon series, we're looking at the portrait of the disciple that Jesus has painted in words in the Beatitudes. I'd like to ask you to please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we read verses 2 through 7, focused on verse 7, and the fifth Beatitude. Now the word of God. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The word of the Lord is eternal, it stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect reviving the soul, and may God's word revive our souls this morning. Please be seated. In the first Karate Kid movie that was aired in 1984, before some of you were born, the antagonist of the movie was John Kreese, the the hard-nosed and ruthless sensei, the karate instructor, and of course the protagonist was Mr. Miyagi, the uh, main character in the movie, Daniels good sensei karate instructor. During one of the sessions of John Kreese, he asked his students, what do we study here? And the class responded, the way of the first, sir. And then Kreese asked, and what is the way of the first? And the class responded, strike first, strike hard, strike fast no mercy sir no mercy we see that in media we see no mercy being shown in politics in the business world when at all costs destroy the enemy redemption and second chances are not to be tolerated rarely being granted by our culture No mercy characterizes our culture as one ideology clashes with another. No mercy even creeps into our hearts when someone offends us and it's so hard to forgive. When we encounter a homeless person who should have a job, when we want to win an argument And when we deal with someone, even a brother or sister in Christ, who has failed, no mercy can drive even the disciple of Jesus Christ. No mercy seems to be, and I would say not only seems to be, but is the natural course of mankind. But it is not the way of Christ nor is it the way Christ's disciples are meant to be why is this the case? I want us to look at three things from this fifth beatitude today, mercy defined mercy personalized and mercy shown again going back to our theme jesus's mercy towards us calls us to show mercy to others first let's look at this reality jesus's mercy his mercy towards us defines mercy for us the bible teaches as we've even read and sung this morning god is merciful the assurance of pardon that we read reflects this from Micah chapter 7 we read verse 18 but here's verse 19 God will again have compassion on us he will tread our iniquities underfoot you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea the prophet points to God being merciful the psalmist describes God being merciful two examples but one Psalm 25 and verse 6 remember your mercy O Lord and your steadfast love for they have been from of old God is eternally merciful and then the passage that J.C. read this morning from Psalm 145 and verse 9 the Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made God is merciful specifically mercy characterizes the life of Christ in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 through 18 here the apostle or here the writer of Hebrews speaks about our merciful and faithful high priest Jesus Jesus So let me ask you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Follow along as I read this passage for us. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that though death, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want to suggest to you that this passage helped us understand a definition of mercy via the life of Christ, the person and work of Christ. First of all, the writer of Hebrews points to Jesus having pity For sinners as the text says the offspring of Abraham the text says that Jesus has pity on sinners sinners who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery by the one who had the power of death that is the devil our catechism speaks of the natural state of the sinner as as living in misery And that's what's behind this passage of Scripture, this description of why Jesus pities us. We are in misery because of sin and death. And then, secondly, Jesus not only is represented here as pitying sinners in their miserable estate, but he acts to alleviate their misery in this miserable estate. He became, the text tells us, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And he did so by first identifying with his brothers, identifying with sinful humanity. He took a human nature, even to the point of being able to sympathize with human weakness. He understood what it meant to be tempted, yet, of course, never sinning. We see this in verses 14, 17, and 18. And as the merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, he not only pitied the sinner, he not only identified with sinful humanity, but he acted to deliver sinful humanity from their miserable And he did so by verse 17, making propitiation for their sins. Do you see mercy here in the life and in the work of Jesus? Pity and action to alleviate the misery. We see both here in this Hebrews passage. We see both. Aspects of mercy in the life of Christ, let me just say, preeminently. He defines mercy. And Paul says it very succinctly in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, when the apostle says this, for our sake, he, Jesus, or God, made him to be sin, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The act of the faithful and merciful high priest to alleviate the misery of the sinners he so pities. We see mercy preeminently, supremely being defined by Jesus. Dr. Barnhouse, reflecting on 2 Corinthians 5.21, says this verse reflects the totality of God's mercy pity and action to relieve misery. Now what's interesting about Jesus also we glean from this passage in Hebrews 2 is that Jesus not only is the, the faithful and the merciful high priest who offers Sacrifices to God, representing the people. That's the role of the priest. But he also is the perfect sacrifice himself. That is the reason for misery, our misery, being alleviated. A perfect sacrifice and a faithful priest were required again Jesus his life and ministry his person and work define for us mercy Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this mercy really means a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve the suffering. This is mercy and we can say this is Jesus. We may be merciful towards a homeless person by having pity on them, by giving them a bottle of water or a granola bar or a couple of bucks our action to alleviate misery might be appreciated by them but my how grossly insufficient our act to alleviate their misery is it is it's like a a drop of water in the ocean but I want us to compare our feeble attempts to alleviate some misery, to Jesus' pity and action to completely, fully, eternally alleviate our misery. His pity and his action is infinitely greater. It perfectly deals with our miserable estate. It alleviates the miserable estate of the sinner. So the point I want us to hear, see here is that mercy is both pity for the miserable condition and it is action to alleviate that misery. That is mercy. The psalmist Psalm 72 puts it like this, speaking of God he has pity on the weak and the needy and he saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Pity and action to alleviate. Jesus' mercy towards us defines mercy for us. And Jesus' mercy towards us calls us to show mercy towards others. And secondly, let us consider Jesus' mercy is towards us before we can be merciful to anyone in a true sense we must understand the magnitude of the mercy that Jesus has shown to us Jesus's mercy towards us is personalized for us a mother this is a story from history a mother once asked Napoleon to pardon her son, and Napoleon responded that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded he be put to death. And the mother responded to Napoleon and said, but I don't ask for justice, I plead for mercy. And then Napoleon said this to her, Your son does not deserve mercy. And she said, Sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask. Well then, the emperor responded, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. This story reflects the relationship between grace and mercy. Napoleon was gracious to this woman's son by showing him mercy. So the classic definition of grace is unmerited favor towards sinners. Sinners getting what they do not deserve. And so Napoleon correctly said that the son in the story by no means deserved mercy. He deserved justice. And Dr. Sproul in one of his books makes this distinction I think on page one of the book (laughs) that, that we either get justice from God or mercy from God. And the fact is What do we deserve? We deserve justice, don't we? Ephesians 2.8.9 states that we don't get justice from God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And the point I want to make here is that though we deserve God's wrath we receive, as stated in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and many other passages in the scriptures we receive what we don't deserve and that is God's grace in being merciful to us in salvation. Earlier in Ephesians 2 we, we read uh, this in verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ jesus now the reason i read this well first it's the word of god we should read it but secondly specifically it is to show that paul uses both mercy and grace in the same passage and many of us may be tempted to use mercy and grace interchangeably and they're certainly related but they are distinct and the point that paul makes here is that he, he uses, he does not use these two terms interchangeably, and I'm gonna suggest the best way for us to understand this relationship between grace and mercy, not only as we think of this beatitude, but also in the context of Ephesians 2, is that on the cross we find God's grace being acted out in mercy. In other words, mercy is God's grace in action, is another way to put it. God chose not to give us what we deserve, that is justice, and instead, he gave us mercy. He alleviated our miserable condition in his redeeming work through the love of Christ Jesus. Mercy and grace see mercy as God's grace in action. We see in Titus 3:5 Paul states he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness not because we deserved it but he says according to his own mercy grace in action in applying the saving benefits of Christ to us by washing us by, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the holy spirit mercy is personalized God is gracious to us. He gives us what we do not deserve, his mercy in alleviating the misery due to sin. I admit that no mercy creeps into my heart. And let me tell you, let me give an example of how no mercy from time to time, creeps in to my heart. As you know, I enjoy riding my bike on the river trail. And on the North Little Rock side of the river trail, across from downtown Little Rock, there's a nice area with benches that are there on the river for people to enjoy the river. And so when I'm out riding my bike, it doesn't matter if it's early in the morning or midday or late in the evening, I see no one sitting on the bench enjoying the river, but I see homeless people camped out on the benches. I assume they're there all night. And so I ride by, and it's very easy for me to view them as not deserving mercy they don't deserve a handout they should get a job there are plenty available they should somehow seek to improve their condition maybe if they showed a little initiative it would be a little easier for me to think about helping them Why should I be gracious by giving them what they do not deserve? Mercy. And every time I pass by one of these homeless people lying on this bench and no mercy starts creeping in to my heart by God's grace, my thoughts turn to what God sees as He looks at me far worse than lying on a park bench. I am infinite more miserable in God's eyes than that homeless person in my eyes it causes me shame that's actually healthy but it also causes me to consider the greatness and the richness and the magnitude not of God's grace, mercy acted out, but of God's grace, and you need to get this, but of God's grace, mercy acted out to me. Personalize it. This is not some theological discussion. This is not some. Category in Burkhoff. This is not a line on a seminary class outline or a Sunday school class outline. Today we're going to talk about God's mercy as if God's mercy doesn't have any bearing on us. I think sometimes we err, in, 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 and we should be theologically correct and be a student, all those things, but we can very easily pass by the fact that this attribute of God that he has in full and that he has willed for us to share imperfectly, that this is some theological discussion up in the ether, but in reality, it's very personal. What I see on that bench pales in comparison to what God sees in me in the miserable estate of sin. And yet, what has God done? He has given me what I do not deserve. He has acted out to pity me but not just to say, oh my, that poor, miserable sinner, but he's actually done what is necessary to alleviate that misery. God has shown me mercy. And if you're a believer, God has shown you mercy. What circumstance in your life would be similar to my River Trail Park bench convicting experience where you come to grips as I have from time to time in just how unmerciful I can be and yet how merciful God has been? to me and to you. Think about that. Until we get this and until we understand the magnitude of the mercy we have been shown and, and until we really remember and embrace the fact that God has shown me mercy, it's unbelievably personal that his grace has been acted out to, to pity, to alleviate our misery, we will always fall short of being able to show mercy to anyone, our spouse, our children, our fellow believers, those outside of Christ, and yes, those on a park bench sleeping, and those on a street corner begging. Jesus' mercy towards us is personalized for us. Jesus' mercy towards us calls us to show mercy towards others. Third, showing mercy is the necessary response to being shown so great a mercy. Jesus' mercy towards us is the fuel for us to show mercy. The beatitude that we're focused on today in verse 7 emphasizes this. God does not respond by giving us mercy because we have shown mercy. The disciple of Christ is the recipient of mercy and what Jesus is meaning here is that because we are the recipient of mercy then we are called and really demanded to show mercy. Jesus' mercy towards us fuels our ability to show mercy towards others. Even more, the great mercy we have been shown demands we show mercy. Showing mercy then reflects who we are meant to be. It is one of the undeniable characteristics of being a disciple of Jesus Christ Jesus is saying that the one who has received these mercies these saving mercies will naturally be merciful towards others in other words when Christ shows us mercy mercy becomes part of our DNA it's who we are merciful now I as I've indicated And with all these beatitudes, it's who we are. It's who we're meant to be. It's how we should live, but we fall short, right? We struggle, and we struggle being merciful. But that doesn't detract from the fact that Jesus is saying, because you're my disciple, because you have received my mercy, it's part of your DNA. It's it's who you are. But it is so hard at times to show mercy and we have a passage of scripture that that actually interacts with this question is it easy to show mercy even by those of us who've been shown such a great mercy by by jesus so take your bibles turn to matthew 18 we'll look at verses 21 through 22 and then just refer I'll, i'll i'll summarize verses 20 through 35 Well, let me read verses 21 through 22 of Matthew 18. Peter asked a question to Jesus about the demand for disciples showing mercy. And here, mercy is in the form of granting forgiveness. Verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. So it's a very familiar passage. In Judaism, and this is where Peter was, he had this Jewish understanding in his mind. In Judaism, if you wanted to describe what true forgiveness really looked like, then the standard was forgive somebody three times. When you've forgiven somebody three times, you've really forgiven them. Right? And so Peter says, well, I'll just say seven times. We'll we'll just say, hey, are we to be very forgiving, super forgiving? But Jesus indicates there's an even greater standard. Not just the, the Jewish mindset three times, not Peter's Forgiveness on steroids, seven times, but, but Jesus says seventy-seven times. I know some would interpret this as being seventy times seven, four hundred ninety. But the ESV translates it seventy-seven, probably because it's related to Lamech's boast in Genesis four twenty-four. So there may be a reason. I think there's reason to understand this as seventy-seven, not four hundred ninety. It doesn't make any difference. And, 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 and here's why the point is we should forgive our brother over and over and over and over again and so the 77 just simply represents an infinite capacity to show mercy in forgiving someone forgiving seven times forgiving three times would really be over the top. That would be like winning the Super Bowl of showing mercy. But 77 times? Let's face it. It is a hill too far, a mountain too hard for us to climb, to truly forgive our brother one time. and this is Jesus's point here is it easy to show mercy and Jesus says it is incredibly difficult to show mercy in your own strength Jesus then gives a parable and the, the parable is, is really the remainder of the chapter. So if you look down at verses 23 through 35, we will not read this. I'll just simply summarize this, this passage. I mean, the passage we just read and this parable are, are linked. They're together. So is it easy to show mercy? It's, it's really hard to show mercy in our own strength the parable is about a man who owed a king 10,000 talents that was a large sum of money but he could not pay it back and so the king ordered that the man and his family be sold to pay off the debt and so the man the debtor begged the king to be patient with him and to give him time to pay the debt and the king responded in pity and released the man from the debt forgave him and let him go wow that's mercy but the twist of the parable is this the the man who was forgiven much when a friend came to him and begged for forgiveness of a very very small sum that was owed a hundred denarii the man who had been forgiven much would not forgive and had, this, had his friend put in debtor's prison. Well, the king found out about it and he said this, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And the king handed that unmerciful servant over to the jailer. Now, I want to suggest about four things we learn from this parable. There may be more, these are my four. First, Jesus is serious about showing mercy, it's an essential characteristic of his disciples. And the penalty for being unmerciful is great, it's severe. Second, The penalty is severe because of the magnitude of the debt this unmerciful servant was forgiven by the king. How can we not be merciful to others who have a small debt, whatever that may be, an offense or whatever it may be, on our ledger in light of the great debt that God has forgiven. Thirdly, this parable shows how difficult it is to be merciful and to forgive an offense. Even once, not to mention three times, seven times, 77 times. Do you see Jesus' standard really is insurmountable? He tells us to be merciful and he sets the standard so high, you should be thinking, how can any of us ever be merciful? Well, I've got an answer for you. And the fourth principle is clear. To show mercy means you have truly received mercy. So showing mercy and receiving mercy are linked. That's the point. Our natural bent is the way of sensei John Kreese in the Karate Kid movie. No mercy. That's our default setting. That's our natural bent. And even those of us in Christ still struggle with that no mercy creeping in in various ways. At the end of the movie, Karate Kid, John Kreese was bullying someone he shouldn't bully and that is the much smaller framed Mr. Miyagi, the sensei, the instructor of Daniel. He's the good guy. And John Kreese has been bullying Daniel, been bullying Mr. Miyagi, and after this competition, John Kreese is out in the parking lot with all of his class around him, picking on Daniel, and Mr. Miyagi comes up. And to make a long story short, Mr. Miyagi, this much smaller man just gives it to John Kreese and puts him with a special karate move that I will not try to repeat before you today for lack of an ER visit uh, or home care by some of you docs uh, later this afternoon. Puts John Kreese on the pavement, flat on his back, and Mr. Miyagi is up for the fatal strike just to give it to him. John Kreese needed to be humiliated And Miyagi had him. And Mr. Miyagi just simply reached down and if you've seen the movie, you know, he tweaked his nose and got up. In other words, Mr. Miyagi showed mercy to one who deserved no mercy. Now, we're not to emulate Mr. Miyagi Mr. Miyagi's uh, code of conduct or whatever spirituality or philosophy is behind karate and that, that way of life is not what fuels our being able to show mercy. We have something infinitely better. And here's my point if we try to be merciful in our own strength we will be the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18 we need to see that if if we try to be merciful out of some code of conduct or just because we're a nice guy or because of some goofy spirituality that we bought into some philosophy that is contrary to a Christian world and life view, that is also empty. We may pretend to be merciful for a time, but it'll catch up with us. And we'll be shown to be what we are, unmerciful. No, what we have is so much more. We are empowered. We are fueled by the all-sufficient grace of the one who has shown us so much mercy, infinite mercy. The parable of the unforgiving servant clearly shows how hard it is to be merciful, to live how we are meant to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the truly good news is we have power, we have fuel to be who we are meant to be. We are blessed in showing Mercy, out of the fuel the grace of being shown so great a mercy his mercy is infinitely more more fuel than any code than any human philosophy than any sense of just being a nice guy can muster up and here's what I'm saying if we're serious about being who we are meant to be, and in this case, merciful, we need to seek Jesus. We need to ask God the Holy Spirit to convict us where we're unmerciful, like riding your bike and seeing a homeless person on a park bench, and to pour out upon us the reality of the magnitude of the mercy that we have been shown and that out of that fuel, out of that power received by faith, we seek to be who we are meant to be, merciful towards others because we've been shown so great a mercy. Jesus' mercy towards us defines mercy for us. Jesus' mercy towards us personalizes mercy for us and in us Jesus' mercy towards us is the fuel for us in showing mercy to others may we ever turn to Christ and plead his grace that we would be fueled to be who we are meant to be merciful let us pray Father in heaven we do come asking that you would daily pour out your grace upon us that you would remind us of your grace acted out in the mercy you have shown us to pity us and to alleviate our miserable condition and this might fuel us to be who we are meant to be, your merciful disciples. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.